Welcome to Indigenous News and Views with Brandy Morin. That's me. If you like this program, please feel free to connect with me. You can send me an email at bmorincommunications at gmail.com. That's bmorin, M-O-R-I-N, communications, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S at gmail.com. Give us any more. As Trump continues to be hammered for his controversial remarks about Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren. Who, Pocahontas? Pocahontas, what about she's, she is, she is it offensive? You tell me, oh, 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 I'm sorry about that. Uh, Pocahontas, so what'd you say? I think she's as Native American as I am, okay? That I will tell you. But she's a woman that's been very ineffective other than she's got sources. So I believe that um, Mr. Trump and his tone um, was offensive today. If there was other uh, young in indigenous or Native American uh, young girls sitting here, uh, what's that signaling to them as, as, young, as young Native American girls? This, this is what I think, you know, as a mother. And, and what, what's your media outlet again? That was Nicole Robertson of Musquaw Media responding to then-United States presidential candidate Donald Trump at a press conference in North Dakota. He was using Pocahontas in a derogatory, mocking manner, which is harmful to Indigenous women. It promotes stereotypes, discrimination, and violence when we are in a crisis across the continent of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls right now. That was four years ago, and President Trump has continued to use Pocahontas in this manner. In fact, at the first 2020 U.S. election presidential debate, he did it again. However, this doesn't line up with his administration's efforts to implement new legislation to eradicate violence against Indigenous women through initiatives like Operation Lady Justice and the Presidential Task Force on Missing and Murdered American Indians and Alaska Natives, or Savannah's Act, a bill directing the Department of Justice to review, revise, and develop law enforcement and justice protocols to address missing or murdered Native Americans. So, the true story of Pocahontas, as not told by Disney, this is from Ancient Origins. Pocahontas is remembered as the Native American Powhatan princess who saved the life of Englishman John Smith, married John Wolfe, and fostered peace between English settlers and Native Americans. In 1995, Disney released an artistically beautiful animated film showing the supposed events that unfolded between John Smith and Pocahontas. Although Disney is known for creating fictional tales, many people believe that Disney's account of the life of Pocahontas was a true reflection of past events. The love between Pocahontas and John Smith, the bravery Pocahontas showed when saving John Smith's life, and the tragic ending when John Smith returned to England for medical treatment. However, this depiction is far, 
departure from the events that occurred and from the real life of Pocahontas. It is believed that Pocahontas was born around 1595 to a Powhatan chief. Her given name at birth was Matoka, although she was sometimes called Amanut. Pocahontas was a derogatory nickname meaning spoiled child or naughty one. Matoka's tribe was part of a group of about 30 Algonquin-speaking tribes located in Tidewater, Virginia. During Matoka's childhood, the English had arrived in the New World and clashes between the colonizers and the Native Americans were commonplace. In 1607, John Smith, an admiral of New England and an English soldier and explorer, arrived in Virginia by ship with a group of about 100 other settlers. One day, while exploring the Chickahominy River, John Smith was captured by, by one of Powhatan's hunting parties. He was brought to Powhatan's home, and the accounts of what happened next vary from source to source. In John Smith's original writing, he told of having a large feast, after which he sat and spoke with Chief Powhatan. In a letter written to Queen Anne, John Smith told the story of Matoka throwing herself across his body to protect him from execution at the hands of the Powhatan. It is believed that John Smith was a pretentious man who told this lie to gain notoriety. In the Disney version, Matoka, or Pocahontas, is depicted as a young woman when she saved John Smith. But by this accounts, but by his accounts, she was only a 10-year-old child when these events occurred, and therefore highly unlikely that there was any romance between them. Matoka often visited the settlement at Jamestown to help the settlers during times when food was in short supply. On 13th of April, 1613, during one of these visits, Samuel Argyll captured Matoka to ransom her for some English prisoners held by her father. She was held hostage at Jamestown's for over a year. During her captivity, tobacco planter John Rolfe took a special interest in the attractive young prisoner and he eventually conditioned her release upon her agreeing to marry him. Matoka was baptized Rebecca in 1614. She was married to John Rolfe, the first recorded marriage between a European and a Native American. Two years later, John Rolfe took Matoka to England to use her in a propaganda campaign to support the colony of Virginia, propping her up as the symbol of hope for peace and good relations between the English and the Native Americans. Rebecca was seen as an example of a civilized savage, and Rolf was praised for his accomplishment in bringing Christianity to the heathen tribes. But while in England, Mahoka ran into John Smith. She refused to speak with him, turning her head and fleeing from his presence a far cry from the undying love between the two as portrayed in the Disney movie. In 1617, the Rolfe family boarded a ship to return to Virginia. However, Matoka would not complete this journey home. She became gravely ill. Theories range from smallpox, pneumonia, or tuberculosis to her having been poisoned. And she was taken off the ship at Gravesend where she died on March 21st, 1617. It is believed she was 21 years old when she died. Sadly, there were no fairy tale endings for Matoka.
Now let's go to our guest. Nicole Robertson is an award-winning media maker. She has dedicated her life to creating awareness about Indigenous peoples through the media. Nicole's career has taken her across North America and the United Kingdom, writing, directing, producing, and reporting on issues that encompass Indigenous communities. Her on-air work experience includes working with the Aboriginal People's Television Network, A-Channel, Global, and CTV in the capacity as a reporter, video journalist, producer, anchor, associate producer, and writer. In the year 2000, Nicole created and established Musqua Productions and Consulting, which specializes in communication and advisory services that include media and public relations, media training, marketing, social media, event and video productions, public speaking, speech writing, cross-cultural communications training, and strategies. Let's go to our interview. Say hello, welcome, Nicole. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Brandy. I am so honored. Yeah. So, how are you doing? It's been a little while. How's how's work life for you? You know, everything has changed. Uh, we're all operating in a in a different time and era right now, and I believe that um, you know it's it's helped me personally speaking, um, coming from a place of being much more grounded, which, which is just so important, I believe, as a parent, as a business owner, as a communicator, you know, it's, it's definitely been a time of um, realizing the simpler things in life. Wonderful, wonderful. So I want to get right into uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing today. So about four years ago, I believe it was, you had an encounter with President Trump. So you had attended a pre-election rally in North Dakota, was that right? And I just wanted you to go through what transpired from there. So he had made a derogatory reference to an indigenous woman, like he, he was using the term Pocahontas in a derogatory way. Can you go through, um, you know, where you were and why you were there and what happened? So I was there from an invitation by the MHA Nation, which is the Mandan Hidatsa Rikara Nation uh, that's located right by um, Bismarck and it's at Fort Berthold. And I was there to assist in some of the communications as a business, uh, Muskwa Productions. Um, I was invited to help with um, some of the uh, work that was going on for the tribal uh, chairman and also the um, leadership there, I should say, that was essentially wanting to engage presidential uh, candidates. And so they had met with Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and they were looking at trying to meet with Donald Trump. And so um, they had put an invite forward and he declined to meet with them. And so um, I was asked to ask him a few questions uh, within the context of the press conference that occurred at the uh, big oil and gas conference that was occurring in Bismarck that the MHA nation also was um, helping to sponsor and take part in it. Now, was this in the summer of 
was it 2015 or 2016? Do you remember? So this was four years ago because we're going right into yeah. the election. And in fact, that's occurring next week, I believe. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So uh, I believe it was 2016. Yes. And so, um, yeah, it was a time that, you know, in hindsight, it was such a, you know, a, a time of uh, inspiration, you know, a time of looking at uh, Indigenous people, for, uh, Native American people, First Nations people across Turtle Island being involved in uh, rocking the Indigenous vote. We were coming off the heels of a national election in Canada with Rock the Indigenous Vote in 2015. Mm. And, um, you know, it was such a momentous time to have uh, Indigenous people involved in uh, voting. And voting is such a huge huge issue now for our people that are wanting to get much more involved in um, our elections and having a say in what's going on within um, their area. I know that a lot of people see themselves as a sovereign. And then there's the other people that say, you know what, these legislations, these policies are going to come forward anyways, and impact Indigenous people. So yeah. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked, but that's, no, that's good. You know. That's good background to know. So you're at this press conference, uh, this oil and gas uh, event in in is it in Bismarck, and Donald Trump shows up. You're in uh, the press uh, gallery, I guess, for that event. So what happens? So I was with a, another young, uh, I wouldn't call myself young, but a beautiful Indigenous woman that's smart, uh, has her degree, you know, um, and she was sitting with me in the press conference. He had come in. Uh, we were about maybe three rows in or two, very close to the front. Um, and, you know, in that situation, you know, I had my hand up, you know, like other press people in there and saying, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, it's a different situation in, in the US when you're in a press conference where you don't just yell out your question like, like you do in Canada. Um, but in this situation, you, you have to put up your hand. And anyway, so I was, you know, Mr. Trump trying to get his attention. And within, I think it was three questions, um, he had said, go ahead. So then I'd asked him, you know, would you as, if you became president, recognize the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And he had said, you know, um, I've heard about that and we will look into it. Mm. And it was very, you know, just really one sentence answer. And I, I don't think he really understood the magnitude of the whole yeah. and what it implicated and what it says. And I believe that, you know, it sort of went, went over, you know, yeah. that, he didn't understand. So uh, that being said, you know, there was someone else in a uh, reporter asking a question and he had cut them off and said, you know, who Senator Warren um, or someone said Senator Warren. And then he said, Oh, who uh, Pocahontas. And at that time he had only used that term, I believe maybe once or twice. And I didn't hear about it, you know, on the news because it just wasn't, it just wasn't in my, in within what I knew. And so in that moment, I um, had said, I'm sorry, but that's, I find that highly offensive. Just one sentence. One so did sentence. you just yell it out? What, yes. what happened? He stopped and looked down because there's bright lights and he goes, oh, well, I'm sorry. 
you know, because um, was I, he genuine or was he sarcastic when he said that? Well, because I had said, you know, I'm sorry, but I find that highly offensive. And he, I think, was replying to say, you know, well, I'm sorry, you know, and if you see the video and how it looks, it looks like he, in that very, very millisecond seemed like he was sorry. Mm -hmm. But then the thing was, is that he doubled down after that, because then he had said, you know, well, look at me, I could be Native American, you know, with my high cheekbones. And he literally had pulled his face back on each side of his cheeks. Was this and at a different time? No, this was just within the next, you know, five minutes. While you were there, really? Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, I looked at him and thought, oh my goodness, you know, that this is, um, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was something that I was just, you know, absolutely beside myself and, you know, I, went to get up of course and I realized that there was already some media that were taking some what we call b-roll visuals yes. of me sitting there and then you know upon trying to leave I got scrummed meaning uh, you know circled yes. by CNN, MSNBC, Wall Street Journal, the you know the Huffington Post I believe the Washington Post it was just an extreme, um, and it never happened to me ever because you never become the news. Yeah. I was all, always, you know, in, told, you know, through schooling, through um, all the media outlets that I'd worked with leading up to that actual time, you just don't become the story. And so when I did, I just was, you know, just taken back because of course I'm trying to answer some questions and get moving. And was then, he still in the room at that time or had he left? No, he had already, he had already left and it was done and he was heading into his rally because it was a rally yeah. um, at the actual uh, Bismarck Convention Center. And, and um, yeah, you know. So what were the reporting supporters asking you? Like, what you know, why would you ask him that? Or why, you know, where are you coming from with, you know, that statement? And I said, you know, I do find it highly offensive. And essentially, you know, it is something that in this day and age shouldn't be used. And I think that, you know, if you look at the history of Bocahannes, you would find out that it's a very sad story. Yeah. And um, if there is any Indigenous young girls in this room today or listening, you know, was, what kind of message is um, this candidate, presidential candidate, uh, sending to uh, young Native American girls in this mm -hmm. day? Well, because it was done when he was referencing Elizabeth Warren, it was done in a mocking, you know, type way, right? In yeah. a derogatory type way. So what happened after that? So after that, you felt, you know, a little bit concerned for your safety and intimidated after that encounter. I mean, um, you know, not only because you're dealing with a, you know, a, a potential leader of the most powerful country in the world, uh, but also because there is a crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, uh, which puts you at further risk, you know, for, you know, violence. So what happened after that? I know you, you, you decided to shut down, you know, some of your social media, uh, make it private for a while. Tell me about that experience. Well, I got a tweet um, from um, presidential candidate um, at the real Donald Trump 
at Moskwa because they had found out who I was and there was this big ruckus, I guess, from what I was told later on, um, happening in the press room, which I didn't intend and, you know, had left within 15 minutes of that scrum. And all of a sudden I get um, a tweet, which he's famous for, um, saying, get over yourself. This country wasn't based upon political correctness. From who? From at the real Donald Trump. Are you serious? So, yeah. So then what happened was. Wow. All the that... people that were following him decided to come after me. And so what happened was, is I ended up getting all the people that were pro-Trump um, essentially He's telling me you're a marked Indian. Um, wow. Are you meddling in US politics to a uh, wagon burner to all the stereotypes that you would hear um, growing up in the time that I have, you know, in this in Canada yeah. um, as an indigenous person. Um, those those old wounds had come forward and into that that what 2016. And I thought you know, in order to block somebody on Twitter, you have to read it. And so I was reading them, blocking, reading, blocking. And then I realized all this negativity was coming at me. And I thought, I don't need to be reading these. This is really, you know, tiring on the soul and spirit. And so I just pulled the plug all together on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had so many people following and it wasn't, you know, for me as a person in communications, you know, I looked at it and thought it's just not worth the, um, you know, the negativity and all the hatred and wow. racism that was occurring during that time to stay on Twitter. And so I got off. So you know? were you were you being actually like threatened? Like, did you did you? Well, one person from... said, you know, you're marked, marked Indian. Wow. You know, yeah. What does that mean when you're marked Indian? You know, um, to me, yes. that's, that's just not a, a good, you know, that's a threat. That's a so you threat. had a bad taste in your mouth then from Donald Trump, you know, so. Yeah. And so that, that was the whole thing is that, you know, why is it when you say one sentence um, that it's blown into a huge story and in fact, Inside Edition out of LA had called me when I was in the airport on my way back to Canada. And I thought, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like it was trending on Twitter, hashtag Pocahontas. And oh. so I was speaking with a good friend advisor of mine and she essentially had said, you know, um, to turn it around and make a hashtag, you know, not your Pocahontas or who is the real Pocahontas and, um, you know, to try and take control of it. And that was before all the, you know, negativity. And it was just, yeah, I essentially wow. needed a big timeout because it became such a massive, massive undertaking that wow. I never you experienced before. Yeah, and so there was an actual like cartoon that was made that went around as well, right? From out of that with, you know, a yes. Pocahontas. Yeah, it was, that to me was probably uh, the, the funny things that have come out out of that. You know, I had to have a laugh after the, the, the point that, you know, crying because it was just so negative that, you know, you have to 
um, look at the human experience of this. And I just think to myself, you know, it's something that our women go through in terms of some of the lateral violence, mm. um, looking at, you know, how mainstream um, essentially um, can really, if you allow it, you know, take a, a strip off you. And now I've learned to uh, put on my armor and to be in a place of groundedness and not to react and to um, try and deal with things in a better way because in hindsight, you know, you have to come through those storms in order to get to a place of feeling much more, um, I would say at peace with things mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I, I was four years ago. So I don't wish anything, you know, negative on, um, President Trump, I think right. that he's obviously um, a human being and, you know, a human citizen of the world. I just think that, you know, I just have uh, different viewpoints on what he sees. Right. Now, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, has been um implementing legislation to address the crisis of uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Uh, They're also like addressing uh, men in it, so it's Indigenous uh, uh, men. Uh, But we know that a high amount of these are, you know, uh, missing and murdered, uh, you know, Native American women. Do you think that like, we just seen him again, continually use these kind of derogatory terms to reference our women, such as Pocahontas. And uh, we recently seen him a couple of weeks ago during you know, a debate use it as well, just very, very carelessly. And I'm just wondering, like in, re- in regards to him, uh, you know, his government taking these initiatives to be the first you know, United States uh, you know, uh, government in power to uh, legislate, taking action on this crisis, uh, do you think he's kind of shooting himself in the foot when he's, uh, you know, using these terms derogatorily and not, maybe not even, do you think he understands? Do you think he knows what he's doing? So I think that, you know, his character and how he speaks is really off the cuff in the moment. That's his style. Um, that's what's resonated, I believe, with some of his base in terms of his you know, the people that are, are, you know, pro-Trump and, you know, that speaks to them. Um, But for people that are coming from our community and uh, looking at words as, you know, uh, what they would call um, medicine, you know, ways of trying to either speak life to something or um, negativity, um, you have to be so careful in, in what you're speaking about and trying to, you know, looking at what he's and how he's speaking, you know, it doesn't seem that his actions um, on the legislative policy front is lining up with his actual words in front of media. And by him continually using the word Pocahontas, it's just, um, I believe, tearing away at his actual work that's been done um, to bring about 
change for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls mm-hmm. um, and also men in um, the United States of America. And I believe that, you know, you need to put actions, there needs to be um, a link between what you're speaking about and what you're doing about it. And so um, I believe that there should be, you know, um, as an elected leader, you know, change in in how you're actually um, helping rather than taking away um, and and continually use of, of the word Pocahontas is not helping his his run yes. as president. Yes. Now, um, so we have these colonial borders, you know, across North America and you know South America, but those uh, borders, you know, were were never in place before the settlers came to these lands. Um, so. Uh, we uh, believe that our indigenous, you know, we're very connected. We're connected to our indigenous brothers and sisters uh, across the lands. And this is a crisis that is happening, you know, all over the continent here, this crisis of our women and girls being targeted for violence and even our men. So that's why it's uh, relevant, you know, here to what they call Canada, uh, you know, on the north side of the border, um, how do you think his words, you know, would affect and influence people uh, looking at this uh, crisis and not, you know, taking it as seriously? Do you think that they that he has impact on that? So, um, does he have an impact on? If you could just repeat the yeah, last. So, part of the do question. you think that his words have an impact on the way that people, uh, you know, view or take seriously this genocidal crisis that's happening, you know, on this continent? Absolutely, I think that when you have, you know, a world leader that's given a platform uh, to be speaking about you know, um, essentially using the word Pocahontas in, in, a, in a way that's just um, not thoughtful, very um, off the cuff. It's, it's essentially not helping the case of uh, mainstream society and validating and seeing uh, Indigenous women and girls, uh, men, boys, as um, humans, it's dehumanizing, it's um, essentially putting us back into a place where we, um, during colonial times, I believe that, you know, we are trying to, uh, you know, get our, get to a place of uh, being back into, um, and some people are doing much better than others in terms of nations, um, but, you know, getting forging forward in a way that's going to help future generations as far as um, understanding who they are, um, language, culture, um, and even for the mainstream society to understand who we are as Indigenous people. I think that, you know, we need to strive to uh, create a better uh, better human citizens, you know, yes. right now in this time we live in, it's so tumultuous. It's very, um, you know, people are at an all time sort of angry and um, yeah. we need to help bring, break down those walls of, um, that keep us in this place of, of being dehumanized, as I said, and also, um, you know, to, to move forward where we're no longer 
targets and mm-hmm. no longer um, being placed in uh, marginalized uh, communities and overcoming at, at the root of it, you know, poverty and over, overthrowing uh, some of the oppression that has occurred in this, you know, yeah. past 150 years and even beyond that, 300 years, if you really want to yes. get into it. But um, I just think that that's, you know, a daily, uh, you know, a daily um, opportunity rather than a struggle. I'd rather see it as a daily, um, you know, it's shifting our way of thinking of, well, how, how can we help to, to make a change for, you know, our future generations? I know that you're a mother as well. Yes, yes, I was going to ask you, like, you have a daughter, she is, is she 15 now? She's actually, yes. yeah, she, she's, she's heading into, yeah, being a very, you know, young woman, and I think to myself that any Indigenous moms out there that have daughters, um, that's always at the top of their minds, even looking on social media recently, I had a big sigh, um, our big sigh first, and then a breath and exhale when they'd found a young indigenous yes. 11 just today and I was so happy because you know when these stories appear you know you bet that a bunch of indigenous women within our community are um, praying for her safe return yeah because it's become so front and center in, yeah. in how we operate as a community and that's a good thing because yeah. I think myself that you know 10 years ago it wasn't like this you know I remember walking in um you know uh protests or even a not even a protest but a um a coming together of um people that were concerned 15 years ago and I still have a placard in my office that says what 571 in missing Mm. indigenous women like you know and then here we are um the official number is close in the thousands yeah but it's really in the thousands like if you really look at the root of all of this you know this started um at the very upstart and even before the uh hudson's bay mining and smelting fur trade company you know during the fur trade and you we look at it and you know some of the women never had a voice back then. Some of them were just murdered, period. There was nothing, no yeah. um, n- no justice. So now we look at it and we go, we need to have justice. We mm-hmm. need to essentially have a voice. We need to help those that are in places of absolute um, being compromised, being uh, victimized. And he's also the um, racialized, racialized, of course, and um, looking at even some of the young girls that are in the there's like sex trafficking and and being um, taken away and also in foster care situations, you know, like so there's multiple upon multiple um, issues and opportunities for change and we need to step up and we need to ensure um together mm-hmm. as as human citizens i say um to involve those that um that need to know about this and need to also uh know that it's just not an indigenous issue oh. 
what do you what do you think about like what do you mean when you say that like um for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls you mean like just yeah so indigenous once, issue? yeah so once you look at a society and if there's a just society for everyone then then the majority of, of people in in society essentially are are safe um for me i look at it as a as a um as a glimpse into where we're operating right now yeah right? we're yeah. still in this place of what i would call sort of dark times and there's still these people that think that you know um they can essentially get away with these crimes yeah and yeah. um and that's not good yeah you know i think to myself that when we have um, a country that recognizes and implements an actual um, strategy that will be tangible in terms yeah. of catching these people that are doing these things, mm -hmm. then we will have a better society in Canada. I'm talking about Canada now specifically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because of our legislation, our inquiry that occurred, and now um, our um, action on the National Action Plan for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, how, how do we in this time where we're not gathering um, and we're not supposed to be gathered really, um, how has that impacted, you know, um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls? That mm -hmm. would be a whole other story. In yeah. Yes. Well, you know what? I am so glad that you came on to share your, um, you know, incredible experience uh, with uh, President Donald Trump and um, to talk about, you know, this very, uh, really important uh, issue going on. So I uh, thank you again and hope to have you on the show again. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed this time and I'm so happy that you are doing um, these stories, it's important to create these platforms. And yeah, I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts. Hi, hi. Thank you for tuning in once again to Indigenous News and Views with Brandy Morin. Be sure to tune in next week for our next segment.